Welcome to the AI in Action podcast, the show where we break down the hype and highlight the practical benefits of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence on our everyday lives. Subscribe to the podcast, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Android podcast of choice. Welcome to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kelly. Today's guest is Lee McKenna. Lee was a partner with Mazars Ireland, who are delighted to have as sponsors once again for the AI Awards. In the show, Lee will discuss interesting innovations he's seeing in AI and data science, how businesses can go about successfully bringing new technology into their business, and helping clients adhere to the data, data privacy regulations, and why they got involved with the AI Awards. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Liam, for people that don't know Mazars and they haven't uh, got an overview about what the company does, would you want to give us an overview about Mazars and also your role as partner within Mazars? Yeah, thanks, Mark. So Mazars is a global professional services firm with 40,000 people. We do audit, tax, accountancy, corporate finance, outsourced services. Uh, my particular area is in consulting. And so within it, I suppose I have two I have a history in two areas. I started my career long ago in security and that's developed into privacy and I have that leg of my career and then I also have transformational change and, and basically knowledge of operations and technology and how they're used to or, or how you need to adapt those when regulations come in or when the business wants to change what it's doing, its strategy. So um, two different aspects but quite complementary to each other. Tell us about some of the innovations that you've actually introduced to Mazars, even the most basic innovations and some of the, the benefits and outcomes that have actually uh, come from that. Yeah, um, well, obviously, we, we have internally looked at digitization. I think that uh, website, will, my, will, will I Be Replaced by a Robot, predicts that 94% of accountants will be replaced by robots. Um, now, I'm not an accountant, but I'm dependent on I work in a firm full of them. Um, so we're very clear that we need to transform and we need to digitize. And internally, there's, you know, there's global projects around building core platforms. Locally here in Ireland, um, just on, we've used robotics quite a bit, actually. So even things like joiners, leavers, movers, you know, a robot. We have a whole bunch of graduates coming in in September, October. That's going to take normally somebody from IT to go around and set up a bunch of IT accounts, set them up in the HR system, set them up in our practice management system, um, give them phone accounts, uh, get their names right, um, and, and do that across multiple systems. And that can take a lot of time. So even, you know, robot, we have a robot now doing that, a software robot that actually, you know, is, is a, a piece of software that sits on a desktop that is programmed. So you just give it a spreadsheet and it has all of the new graduates and the relevant details and just goes through all those and creates all the accounts. Um, that's one internally from a client perspective now. We also have, say, our outsourced payroll services. And when we receive in a payroll file, we have to do a load of tech checks on it. And sometimes those checks, if, if everybody's payroll is at the same point in the month, we will get a lot of files in at the same time. And if there's an error and it isn't spotted quickly enough, then, you know, by nature, these things arrive in the day or two before they want payroll run. And so we need to find errors and problems very quickly. And so we had a load of juniors doing that. And now we have robots doing a good proportion of that where they'll go in and check for uh, variances between month one and month, like last month and this month, see if there's a reason for it and check that everything is completed correctly. Um, tax also, we have, uh, you know, if you look at the tax returns, um, filling those out automatically. And when you, when you think of the innovations, that actually allows people to freedom tie up to do probably higher value work rather than necessarily kind of uh, eliminate what they were doing before. Yeah, and I suppose, we, you know, we do AI as well, but in other areas, but with the robotics, 
I think the catchphrase now that the industry is using is, you know, we're taking the robot out of the person. Sure. And it's about, we, we recruit here graduates who are highly intelligent, motivated people who've done very well in their leaving cert, very well in college, want to get on. And then you put them in front of a spreadsheet and say, we want you to check that this cell is the same as this cell from this other spreadsheet. It's kind of demotivating. So, um, you know, we would anticipate that uh, we will continue to grow. But ideally, what we would like is we're growing, but um, our, uh, we're, not, we're not growing at the same proportion of people and revenue. Over time, we, uh, our revenue continues to grow, but the growth in people is, is slightly less and the people are doing really higher value added work and really interesting work. So when you're actually looking at customers, have you got any examples where you're seeing some innovations in tech within the customers you're working with? Yeah, um, so you know, I suppose the ones, probably one that's interesting is we have a, a good AI technology a capability and uh, an interesting project we did recently was in for one of the global car manufacturers. And what we find is, for example, in car manufacturing, it's all about encouraging the dealers to sell the right cars at the right times. And a lot of there's a lot of marketing promotions and and um, you know giving money back to dealers for selling certain cars and, and certain you know at certain dates etc. Um, and there's quite a lot of mistakes or fraud depending on your uh, viewpoint within that. And so we've used AI to bring together large amounts of data, analyze all of the data from the, across the entirety of France and recognize where there's unusual activity and then hone in and audit those. So in the past, the client would have spent, you know, a couple of million a year auditing dealers. Now they're spending a million a year auditing dealers and getting a much higher proportion of the uh, inappropriate actions. So somebody in a business, when they're looking at the outcomes, they are clear outcomes in terms of cost savings and pinpointing uh, who's actually doing behaviors that are undesirable, you know, either on purpose or to incompetence. So there's, there's clear benefits for, for the CEO, yeah, and, CFOs. And actually what was really interesting about that one is that started as an internal audit program. But now um, they love it so much that the marketing team have a dashboard which has been built. So we came in and we did some internal audit work. Uh, we were then engaged by the organization because they saw the data we were actually showing them was showing what marketing campaigns were working well where they were working well, which dealerships needed training, which you know, which individuals needed training. So we went from using AI to do an internal audit program to now having AI as part of their BAU dashboard uh, that marketing used to drive performance. I think it's really powerful that you're internally in Mazars, you're actually trying to so eat your own dog for applying some innovations, either in robotics or more complicated uh, tech to some of the stuff that you're actually looking to do, doing. And I suppose it's digitalization, you know, these are all just tools, so creating a better internal customer experience or external customer experience. And externally, we're seeing benefits as well. It, it really kind of depends on how limited or you know, how good your imagination is in terms of how you can apply this technology to everything we're doing. Yeah, and actually, you know, when we first, what we find is that it's very hard, for example, with the robotics, I, I kind of think of robotics not as a strategic change, but tactical, because really the most of the answers are actually, if we had a great core platform, it would not need robotics. Robotics is because you have manual processes between systems. And so it does feel a bit tactical. But even when we went around originally to our own teams here and identified um, the problems, it's hard for them to understand them or it's hard for them to identify them. So, you know, typically we do a pilot and we've done this with clients where we go and we do a pilot, we pick three or four processes 
try and make them across different areas of the business and then demonstrate the value. And then when we come back and we show that to people and we ask them again, so let's go back now and think again about the opportunities, they come up with more. So there, there is a, a little bit of trying to show people before they can fully grasp it. When, I, when I've conducted uh, large interviews with kind of CIOs, CTOs, and we talk about the reason why technology projects fail, vast majority of reason technology projects fail is system integrations between different the, the suppliers. But one of the other big reasons is, is that the proof of concept wasn't done initially extensively and they were solving the wrong problem. So when you actually start small like that, loads of different ideas actually come true to figure out actually this is the most important problem that we probably should work on now that we've actually put more thought into it. And then the micro atomic wins that can come from those POCs can be really good for morale because culture usually determines if these projects are gonna be successful or not because they adopt them or they they kind of disengage with them uh, too. So it's nice to see that approach. And and actually, interestingly, we we, um, have a very large change consulting team and we would involve them heavily in any of the enterprise level programs of digitization because you know there's the point around people not spotting them but there's also the point around people feeling slightly apprehensive about these programs and so um you know we do find that a number of our clients have said look we really need that change piece we need to focus on it and, and make sure that we do this with with the team and involve people yeah because a lot of the times when projects fail the impact on morale can be pretty bad you know and people can get disgruntled even the small things like introduction of new software you know it could it can be the downtime of, of people doing their work as well so that change piece is really really um, important as well Liam looking at businesses or you know looking at GDPR and the rise of just being more compliant in general and probably just being more thoughtful about uh, how we're treating people's data and then with innovation tech tell us about some of the glaringly obvious areas that businesses need to be mindful for when they're actually setting out their strategies and some of the areas that they can get caught out on and sometimes because you're in it so so you understand this some of the areas that people just need to start to get the basics on where with so many things happening in business at any one time, it can actually be challenging to take consideration, especially with new introductions of technology. Yeah, and you know, obviously I'm a bit conflicted on this one because um, within our own business in Mazars and with helping clients and as a consulting partner, I'm very keen to use all these technologies to improve efficiency, improve client service, and and uh, you know, make business better. Uh, at the same time, I'm also a bit of a privacy zealot and so I, I'm, I'm conflicted um, what I would say is you need to be thinking about these things early in your programs um, most organizations now have done something on GDPR and either have a DPO or have somebody in their team who knows about this and probably one of the key things is getting them involved early in your project you know there is this process around data protection impact assessments but even where they're not needed you know, we all know that if you get something into a project at the early stage, before your plan has been desi- defined, before your budget's been defined, making small adaptations to to improve the privacy aspects of it isn't going to be costly or time consuming. You know, I had a client <coughs> last week who came to me and they have to go live with a project in three weeks time. It's critical to the business and um, they've asked that we can get involved in the privacy side and they're already testing it. I have a client at the moment who came to me, you know, they have a project going live in three weeks and they've asked us to make sure that it's meeting the privacy standards. Um, like, what can we do? 
it's already in, in testing environments, it's already up there, everybody is rolling it out, the training's being done, anything we say is just going to be a problem. And so they're just going to be defensive and try and block it. You know, obviously if they had come to us a year ago or six months ago, it would be a lot more simpler. So I think the first thing is just to n not avoid it, take it, take it head on, because when you do, generally you can get around these things. You know, the, the, so what I'm concerned about is, we use this term about data being the new oil, and every data point is like a fossil falling to the seabed to create this oil. And we don't know what's going to happen to that data. And everything we say today, um, everything we put into our computer today, right now there's, we understand, potentially some of us understand what can be done with that, others less so. But we don't understand that data is, is likely still to be there for a long time. Um, what will be done with it in the future? Um, that's probably what concerns me and the, and the ability to bring all of that together. Yeah, you, you really don't know the impact of technology until five, ten years afterwards and, and regulation sometimes doesn't necessarily uh, catch, catch up as well. But it's really interesting to say that when you design for this at the very start, then you're looking for the gotchas from the very start because that's how you're designing it. Yeah. But when you're coming at it near the end, nothing's been impacted because you're, you're, you haven't necessarily thought about that aspect of the problem. It's a different sphere to, to add. So it's, it's, it's quite a big challenge. And later on, it can really bite them because well, of all the work that they've done uh, before because it just takes one chink in that armor and everything else is useless. Yeah, and I think what we found is that um, nobody, very few organizations challenge their business model because of privacy. Um, whereas there are business models which aren't really aligned and compatible and so what we're seeing now is challenges to how people have papered over their compliance with say for example GDP or um, and they felt confident we've written a piece of paper we've justified it but consumers are finding that our public members of the public are finding it and challenging it and then that's driving another wave of well are we really really private I think we were speaking off air a few weeks back you were saying that one you actually looked at one of the terms and conditions uh, I, I won't mention the, the company's name, but when you actually looked into it and read it, you were like, wow, you know, yeah. are we really going to say yes to this? I think they owned my children, actually. Right. I, but I, I'm, yeah, it was ridiculous. Right, right. And they take hours to read. Like if there was a, there's a guy in the guys in the States who sat down and printed off the terms and conditions for many of the apps that we all consent to as we download them on the phone. It took them six hours to read one set of terms and conditions on an app that, you know, your, you or your kids are going to download in a matter of seconds, click I agree to the terms and conditions and move on. So, you know, that's not, that's not, individuals can't be expected to do that. So we need a better way. Sure, and that, and that comes back now to the case of, you know, it, legally it's probably correct, but in the spirit of where you want it to be, is that correct in terms yeah. of how you want it to, to, to be? And that, that's a different kind of debate to, to bring to. I'm not sure if I mentioned to you before, but uh, my, me and my son were, were uh, using Amazon Alexa on a Saturday morning singing nursery rhymes. And my son said, oh, McDonald's, play all McDonald's. And Amazon Alexa said, oh, McDonald is part of the Amazon Prime range to, to upgrade, say yes, at 4.99 per month. What did my four-year-old do? Yes. yes. And it upgraded and Old McDonald came on. So I had three decisions in my head. Do I say, oh my FG, what's happened here? No, Alexa. Do I discipline my son or do I just 
be lazy and just let it play out and I've been lazy and it's it's played out right but that just got me thinking on the bigger aspect of how costly this could be yeah. you know depending on that and then you also have a play day so my son and kids come around and they're playing with Amazon Alexa do I need to sign up their GDPR terms because they're now speaking who owns that so so there's loads of different things that you need to be mindful for that this could just get bigger and bigger and bigger yeah absolutely and and there's other security aspects of it like you know our auditors now are learning one of the big processes that we we put a lot of robotics into is in about accounts payable and accounts receivable and processing invoices but that is part of an audit consideration so we're now our, our IT auditors are now having to develop capabilities to audit on robotics and AI and all of that which is a and, and the security risks around that are, are different as well so you know it challenges everybody but uh, look nobody wants to go backwards there are great possibilities um, and concerns and so hopefully we can take advantage of the uh, of the possibilities and mitigate the concerns uh, Lee Mazars were proud sponsors of the AI awards last year in our first year and we've got our second year now coming up on the 20th of November. Uh, wh why have Mazars taken so lightly to the AI Awards and uh, how's people's uh, feedback been so far? Yeah, so you know, I think in Ireland we suffer from a lack of scale, but on the, the flip side of that is we have the ability to build communities and help each other. And you know, AI organizations in Ireland largely are looking at Ireland at all, if, any, if at all, as a pilot. You know, everybody's looking outside. And so I think it's a great opportunity for like-minded people to come together and form an ecosystem which will actually work. And, you know, we've done it so well in funds and in, in some other areas. Um, we can help each other and we can move forward. And I think it's just, it's great for the country and, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll bring great jobs and it'll bring great capital. So uh, we're really excited about it. And uh, we think it's a, a very, it's, it's a necessary uh, forum to have. I've been speaking with Liam McKenna. Liam is a partner at Mazars. Liam, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Mark. Now in its second year, AI Ireland, in collaboration with principal sponsor Microsoft, present the AI Awards. Come join us at the Gibson Hotel on the 20th of November 2019 and see the best that Ireland has to offer in AI and data science. To find out more, head over to www.aiawards.ie slash tickets. That's www.aiawards.ie slash tickets. Please feel free to reach out to me at mark at aiawards.ie.